This is an ABC podcast. Well, everyone says there's always a game-changing moment in your life, and mine definitely came in 2013. I was a single mum running a global agency, and I was due on a flight to London for a big client over there. And I could literally, as I was going up the road for my morning coffee, I could feel bit by bit my body was shutting down. And I didn't quite know what was going on. And 24 hours later, literally, my appendix burst. I got septicemia and I was lucky that, you know, I was rushed to hospital. I was operated on at 2 a.m. in the morning and I made it out the other side. And that's businesswoman Tori Archbold. Up until a few years ago, she ran a very successful PR company rubbing shoulders with Hollywood's elite, including the likes of George Clooney and Drew Barrymore. She gave it all away when, as she says, she tapped into her intuition and had her aha moment. Now, we often hear people say, I had a gut feeling or it just felt right. But what does that actually mean? Is it just a turn of phrase or is it something else going on inside our bodies? Well, today we're exploring the science of interoception or physiological intelligence and its effect on decision-making with neuroscientist Professor Lorimer Mosley. Hello, I'm Lisa Leong. You're listening to This Working Life. Now, Tori, your doctor planted the seed that led to your aha moment. What did he say to you? Well, after 12 rounds of antibiotics and not getting better, because originally he gave me a six-month recovery, but in actual fact, it was a good two, three, four years because I ended up with adrenal and chronic fatigue because my body was in so much trauma. He turned around to me and he said, do you want to get better? And I said, I absolutely do. And he just looked me directly in the eyes and he said, a happy heart is a magnet for miracle. And he basically said to me, once you start putting yourself first, once you start focusing on your own happiness, what you will find is what is not meant for you will gently fall away and what is coming for you will gently come into your life. And that was a really tough time for me, Lisa, because I was so used to putting everyone first. And of course, you know, having your own business and dealing with a lot of big global entrepreneurs, um, CEOs and movers and shakers, I was used to being a people pleaser. So that was literally my aha moment when I was like, you know what, Tori, shit's got to stop. Like you need to stop putting everyone else first and you need to put yourself first. And as I started doing that, I became happier. I became more healthier. And I like to say I became wealthier because I understood that my health was my wealth. And how do you actually listen to your heart when it comes to making decisions, Tori? Can you give us a practical example of that? Yeah, I think that's such a great question, Lisa. Happiness is anchored to your values, your intent and your life purpose. So when I look at what makes me happy, it's definitely based on the three values that I take into my life each and every single day. And the first one is passion. So if I'm going to do something, if I'm going to exchange energy with another person on a project, personally, professionally, with family, whatever it is, it has to be done with passion. And they need to do that with passion as well. The second one is integrity because 
because I'm a firm believer I don't want to work with assholes. I don't want to be surrounded by assholes. They don't make me happy. And it's one of those things that has really helped me build my business is making sure that I work with people and I'm aligned with people that speak their truth. And the third one is delivery. I put my all into everything. So you're only as good as your last phone call, your last conversation, your last podcast chat, whatever that might be. So if I anchor all of my decisions to my passion, my integrity, my delivery, that actually gives me a happy heart. If it's out of whack, I can feel it and I have to step away from that situation. Now, happiness also comes from your intent in life. So, you know, what is my intent now? It's to inspire, it's to encourage, and it's to empower others. I want other people to understand that when they own their story, they own their power. That gives me a happy heart. And the last question that I always say to people to ask yourself in terms of happiness is what is your life purpose? And so when I had that aha moment, After my near-death experience, when I was standing there with Drew Barrymore launching her beauty brand into Australia, I was like, trust in my gut instinct. Now is the time to make my move. I'm not happy doing what I'm doing and I need to step into the next journey, which is powerful steps. And Tori, what do you mean by owning your story? So when I was running Chorstar, which was two decades of my life, I literally had two masks on. And many entrepreneurs do this, Lisa, I'm sure you know this too. It's success and survival. You put one face out to the world, but there's another one that you have when you walk in the door and life is very different at home. And so I was not owning who I was. And I think there was probably less than five people in my life that truly knew what was going on behind the scenes. But when I decided to take ownership of what was really going on in my life. When I decided to step forward and stand in my truth and say, hey, you know what? Even though I had this big global agency, even though I was attracting these great brands, celebrities and influencers into my life, I actually wasn't living my truth because I wasn't telling anyone what was going on behind the scenes when I truly needed to lean in and get help to survive that situation. And so- What do you mean by letting people into that true story. So I was afraid that that if I told people what was going on and the chaos that I found myself in behind the scenes, I felt that they would judge me. I felt that I would lose clients. And I felt that people would just be like, oh, is she the one to truly deliver on what we've given her? And so I decided to be quiet. I decided not to speak out. I decided to have, I guess, two masks that I shared with the world. And I guess that aha moment for me, two of them, as I said before, was a 2013 moment when actually after that near-death experience, I started stripping people and projects um, out of my life, friends, family, professional, anyone that was out of whack in my life. It was like, I can't do this anymore. But I still wasn't in my power. I still wasn't owning my story, Lisa, because it wasn't until that aha tap, tap, tap on the shoulder moment with Drew Barrymore that I was like listening to her talking about bravery and you know not worrying about what other people think not worrying about judgment that I was like you know what I'm ready to actually go out to the world and actually share what truly happened to me while I was building a global business and I think once I own that story once I stood in my truth I no longer had to hide behind closed doors and so I had that additional freedom in my heart. And that's truly when everything started falling into place for me. 
And it sounds like you moved from external factors being your compass to more internal factors. So this idea of going into your values and going in internally. Correct. Correct. So all my decisions, all my businesses have always been based on my gut instinct and my intuition, but they've also been around timing. For someone who might not have this sense of the voice inside me that you do, how does somebody develop that? What would your advice be? So Lisa, anyone can develop it. And the best thing is just to spend time alone. Now, this is the best tip I was ever given from a Buddhist monk in Thailand when he said to me, you need to slow yourself down so that you can actually listen to the inner voice from within. And I said, I don't have time to do that and I don't have time to meditate. And he called bullshit on it because he said to me, who do you have a shower with in the morning? And I said, myself. And he said, that's going to be your sacred space. So every morning for over a decade now, in the shower, I get some lavender oil. I put three drops on my decollage. I inhale, exhale three times. And guess what I do? I just listen. I listen to what I'm meant to be doing. Some of the best creative ideas, some of the best business ideas, some of the best project connections have come from my shower, Lisa. And I teach this to women in our business attraction program. And I say to them, look, when you get really good in the morning of tapping into your intuition, because you've made the time to stop and listen to yourself, to what your intuition is going to tell you, you can end it off with gratitude. You know, thank you for bringing this person into my life. Thank you for that project opportunity. Thank you for that connection. And I do that twice a day. And honestly, I have never looked back. Australian businesswoman Tori Archibald. Lorimer Mosley is a professor of clinical neurosciences at the University of South Australia. So Lorimer, what is interoception? My understanding of interoception is is a broad one and I would say interoception is the the ability or the processes by which our body and brain understand each other and if we were to to start off with a, a more narrow version of it and then go to the broad one that I like. The more narrow version is that system by which changes in your body, in your internal environment, are detected and transmitted to your brain for action. Uh, I like to think of interoception as, as bigger than that, where the brain then creates for you feelings of your body and a, a sense of your physical self. Who am I physically? And I would put all of that stuff in together because the more we learn about these things, we, the more we see these are they're, they're reverberating loops. You know, we now have evidence that the way you, you feel your physical self changes the way the tissues of your body operate, just as changes in the, in the tissues change how your body feels. So it's, it's really a connected, dynamic, online system. And so how does something like the concept of interoception relate to intuition and gut feelings? Yeah, well, the intuition and gut feelings, there was this really interesting work that's actually not that new that suggests that from an early age, from a very, very early age, we have these almost automatic 
protective mechanisms in place so that when you're very young and there's a, there's a change in your tissue environment. So if we talked about gut feelings, let's say there's a, there's a change in, an, uh, in response to a threatening stimulus of some description. So let's say as if you're very young, uh, a loud noise and you have an automatic protective response to that that includes the release of molecules in your gut. And those molecules are detected by sensors in your gut which send this barrage of information up to your brain saying, this event's just happened. Some event that's dangerous has happened. And your brain learns to create feelings that match those signals. And so let's go through the sorts of things that might happen. So a loud noise happens. What then happens inside my body? Yeah, so a loud noise, there's an immediate response of systems that include adrenaline. There are other systems as well, but hormones. And they're released actually all over your body, um, but they're released into, for example, the gut. And then there's neurons, nerve cells, that detect that adrenaline or that cortisol or whatever the hormone is. And when they detect it, they send a very rapid message up to the brain and the brain learns to interpret that signal as, as a sign of risk, a sign of danger. And that's really helpful because it allows this massive top end of the brain, which is this incredibly sophisticated processing and prediction device, to survey the, the environment right now. So what is that thing that's caused the response? And then we learn that over the years of our development. So, and so I might detect that by my heart sort of suddenly jumping out of my chest and then that sort of feeling of a tingling maybe across my body as well? Yeah, you, you might, but if you're aware of that, that tells us it's gone to another stage of processing. The, the real, from my perspective, the really cool stuff about interoception are the signals that you don't detect, that you don't detect as a, as a conscious being. Uh, like the, the really cool studies done by a guy called Antonio Damasio were, in, were gambling studies. And they showed that people with damage to these parts of the brain that receive signals from your gut uh, ended up losing a lot of money gambling because they, they didn't detect the cues from the body indicating this is a risky situation. Ah, so now we're getting to decision-making. So how do you think tapping into this interoception can help us with decision-making? Yeah, there's, there are some clinical trials where they've trained people primarily in detecting their own heartbeat. And it's not, it's not taking your pulse and it's not sitting conveniently close to your pillow so you can sort of hear your pulse. It's sitting still without that feedback and just tuning in to the signals from your body. And uh, this heartbeat detection task, people can get better at that with training. And there is some evidence that when they get better at that, they do have a change in their decision-making, but also in, in their ability to regulate their emotions more widely. And those two things are, are really related, right? If you, if you get better at regulating and perceiving and understanding your emotions, your feelings, then it will affect your decision-making. And can you explain how that might play out? 
Uh, well, it's, it's extremely complex biology that I, I don't think anyone on the planet would understand all of those mechanisms well. But anecdotally, people will be able to relate to scenarios where they make bad decisions when they're angry or they make bad decisions when they're very sad or they've had a, a major emotional event. So if we take that principle down a bit lower and we get better at understanding the signals from our body and regulating those things, so observing them, then their effect of in the moment, you know, I like to call that the in the moment effect. You know, don't, don't make a rash decision while you're angry. You know, wait for a day to return that email. All of those sort of things are evidence that your feelings, your emotions and your feelings affect our decision making. And is this somewhat um, looking out for things like somatic markers, Lorimer? Yeah, well, this guy, uh, Antonio Damasio, he proposed this theory called the somatic marker hypothesis. So somatic markers are basically molecules in your body. So somatic means body, marker is the molecule. And the hypothesis is that the way that we learn how to feel anything and actually significant contributions to our decisions in the moment about anything are because we detect these somatic molecules or body-bound molecules in our bloodstream and, and in our gastro, gastrointestinal tra tract. And Antonio Damasio said that as we start to develop as a human, we are getting these inputs from somatic markers. So they trigger signals to the brain. And the brain has to work out what is the right feeling to produce when I receive this information. And that's, that's a really interesting idea from the perspective of something like pain. I'm very interested in pain, uh, not really experiencing it, but understanding why we experience it and, and, and mainly why people keep experiencing pain when their body is no longer in danger. If you took the somatic marker hypothesis, you would conclude that as we develop as humans, um, probably from before birth, but certainly after birth, we learn how to make pain. And if I said that again and, and you just think about what that means for us in the clinical field, that as we, probably from before birth, but certainly after birth, we learn how to make the feeling of pain. And there's good evidence that newborn babies are not very good at that. If you gave a newborn baby a, an injection on the foot or a loud noise or made them hungry, they behave in almost identical ways. But you take and a three-year-old, it starts to change because the human is learning to make different feelings according to the somatic or the body-bound markers that are coming in. And how do we actually improve our ability to attune to those somatic markers? Yeah, well, there are, there are exercises, like I talked about with the heartbeat detection, uh, that people can improve their performance on those tasks, if you like. I think, I mean, and that will leave you better at uh, letting your heartbeat influence how your brain's evaluating the world. But I, I get more excited about the idea of becoming better at, at detecting all of our bodily signals. And I think the closest we've come to that at the moment are the mindfulness-based tasks, the body scans, uh, the, the 
sort of limiting your action while you listen in to your body. And, and that's not an easy thing to do. People train on this. In fact, you know, monks and yogis and these sort of people spend decades becoming proficient at that. And there is some really interesting data that when people train for 30 or 40 years on listening to their bodily data, if you like, the bodily input, and, and regulating how they behave, when some of those people can reduce their heart rate down to gobsmackingly low levels of, you know, teen, like 15 heartbeats a, a minute. Uh, but that takes them 50 years to learn the skill of doing that. That's neuroscientist Professor Lorimer Mosley from University of South Australia. And we're also speaking with Australian businesswoman Tori Archbold. Now, Tori, what resonates with you listening to Lorimer there? Oh, I absolutely loved it because he was talking about a sense of your physical self and leaning into your body signals. And it really resonated for me because I know when I'm still... And I know when I'm in nature or when I'm doing my morning ritual, I'm actually able to receive the signals that are coming to me, which allows me to make better life decisions. What sort of signals, Tori? Well, just little voices that just talk to you in whispers and give you the answers to the solutions that you're seeking. Lorimer, what do you think is happening there? Well, as far as I can tell, I think that Tori is is getting very proficient at probably two things, I imagine, having not discussed this at length with Tori. I hope, Tori, that I'm not completely off target here, but I think there it sounds like there are two things. One is what we spoke about before with tuning in to the signals from your body and some of those signals are really informative signals for your brain, maybe not necessarily for you as a conscious being, but for your brain and its fundamental top task, which is your safety and well-being. That's the, that's the primary objective, I think, of the brain, this sophisticated organ. And then the second thing is that when you're able to do that, you simultaneously quieten all the other stuff that the brain is doing. And you actually, you can shift the mode of operating of your brain between these different states. And in order to get more proficient at hearing your body, if you like, remembering that this is not necessarily a conscious thing. So when Troy talks about the voices, uh, I imagine that what you're really detecting there, Tori, is the manifestation of a, a more quiet brain that can actually recognise things that, that it's currently trying to do but can't because of the noise if that makes sense. And I don't mean noise in your environment. I mean within the brain. The brain is a very, very busy organ. But when we can slow it down. Yeah, I agree with you. And I also love what you said about that sense of your physical self because I do Mm -hmm. believe that when you're more in tune with who you are, like you have a leaner, cleaner life, I know that when you actually sit in stillness with your body, it's such a powerful tool and we don't use it enough. Yeah, that sense of physical self is... I reckon underestimated as a fundamental component of your wider sense of who am I and what is my place in the world. I I see people in trouble with primarily with pain but maybe with fatigue, Mm. uh, anxiety, compulsion to eat, these sort of feelings Mm. that drive behaviour 
who, if they close their eyes, cannot point to where their opposite foot is. Oh, wow. They are that out of tune with physical signals. Mm. Yeah, it's quite remarkable. But I think, Tori, it sounds to me like you're a highly proficient body listener. Body, body, is that the same as a body whisperer? Is that right? (laughs) Yeah, so. I feel it's a gift. Some of the work that we do clinically, uh, people have such a disrupted sense of their physical self that it clearly is disrupting their wider sense of of who they are and their, their place in the world. And we can shift the latter, uh, which often manifests in, in depression, in pain, in anxiety, in fear, we can shift that by targeting the, the sense of physical self, by getting people to really concentrate on specific sensory signals. And some of those sensory signals are things that, that we can deliver to someone's body, you know, by, by a particular touch stimuli, if you like. So I think, yeah, I agree. This sense of physical self, we, we sort of underrate it. But the, the sense of who I am as a physical being is mm. inseparable from the sense of who I am as a being. And that's neuroscientist Professor Lorimer Mosley from the University of South Australia and Australian businesswoman Tori Archbold. You've been listening to This Working Life. I'm Lisa Leong. And until next week, keep working. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.